Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. The email is Pete at the Pete Callender Show dot com and uh, Twitter is at Pete Callender. Sorry, I'm just typing out a tweet here to my good friend Ray Cooper because um, he just weighed in. Uh, much has been made about Trisha Cotham's switch from Democrat to Republican. If she keeps her word on the issues, her votes and the positions she takes in Republican caucus can still stop bad legislation that hurts people she promised to help regardless of her party. So uh, this sounds a lot like my good friend Ray Cooper trying to call off the uh, leftist moonbats that pushed Cotham out of the uh, Democrat Party in the first place. Party in the first place. And uh, then you hashtag that bad boy, and uh, you hit send. And that is how you stir the pot. Okay, so uh, China's, <laughs> China's military simulated precision strikes against Taiwan in a second day of drills around the island on Sunday with the island's defense ministry reporting multiple Air Force sorties and that it was monitoring China's missile forces. China, which claims democratically governed Taiwan as its own territory, began three days of military exercises around the island on Saturday, the day after the Taiwan president Tsai Ing-wen returned from a brief visit to the United States. Also, not helping, Macron. You are not helping. Frenchie. Uh-huh. That's that and uh, rendezvous and order. Those are the three French terms that I know. I guess you could call Macron. You could say that. Ooh, so that's four. Ooh, plus Karine uh, Jean-Pierre. Then uh, that's five. I'm up to five. I'm going to be trilingual at any moment at, the, uh, at this rate. The uh, Chinese military's Eastern Theater Command put out a short animation of the simulated attacks on its WeChat account, as all military operations do. It shows missiles fired from land, sea, and air into Taiwan, with two of them exploding in flames as they hit their targets. Should we be worried about this? <laughs> I mean, they're doing CG missile attacks into Taiwan. A source familiar with the security situation in the region told Reuters that China had been conducting simulated air and sea attacks on the foreign military targets in the waters off Taiwan's southwestern coast. Taiwan is not their only target. Well, gee, who do you think that might be? Who do you think they're talking about? Taiwan's defense ministry said that they had spotted 70 Chinese aircraft, including Su-30 fighters, Su-30 fighters, I don't know, H-6 bombers, as well as 11 ships around Taiwan. The ministry said that they were paying particular attention to the People's Liberation Army's rocket force, which is in charge of China's land-based missile system. Later on in this Reuters story, the security source said 20 military ships, half from Taiwan, half from China, have been engaged in a standoff near the Taiwan Strait's median line, which is like the line between them, you know, uh, that has served as an unofficial barrier between the two sides. My question, 
Is it a standoff when you are on the boats? It seems like it would be a float off. That, right? That to me, you're in a float off. Last August, following a visit to Taipei by Nancy Pelosi, then the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, China staged war games around Taiwan, including firing missiles into waters close to the island. It has not announced similar drills this time. What is this in response to? Two things. Number one, it was a response to Kevin McCarthy meeting with the uh, Taiwanese president. Number one. Number two, the freaking French. I'll tell you. I read a book a long time ago called The French Betrayal of America and talked about all the underhanded crap that the French do with our enemies like North Korea and Iran and, oh, yeah. I mean, they they may be our, quote, oldest allies, but, yeah, I don't think they're our friends. So as we look around the world, Nick Arama at RedState.com says we see our adversaries on the move. Even France, our oldest ally, is now making concerning statements after Emmanuel Macron just came back from visiting with Chinese leader Winnie the Pooh. Europe must reduce its dependency on the U.S. and avoid getting dragged into a confrontation between China and the U.S. over Taiwan, according to Macron. Speaking with Politico, as well as two French journalists, after spending about six hours with Chinese President Pooh, Macron emphasized his pet theory of, quote, strategic autonomy for Europe presumably led by France, so they could become a third superpower. France. Sorry. Uh, France is going to lead Europe to being the third superpower. Okay. Macron said, quote, in the interview, the paradox would be that, overcome with panic, we believe we are just America's followers. Ha ha ha, the questions Europeans need to answer is, is it in our interest to accelerate a crisis on Taiwan? No, the worst thing would be to think that we Europeans must become followers on this topic and take our cue from the U.S. agenda and a Chinese overreaction. Ha ha ha. Oh, and then he also suggested that Europe should reduce its dependence on the, quote, extraterritoriality of the U.S. dollar. That is a key policy objective of both Moscow and Beijing. Chinese President Winnie the Pooh's aim at the meeting was to feel out Macron and Europe on how they might react to an invasion of Taiwan and to slow Europe's support and or involvement when it comes to the island nation. Macron just said in that article that he did not think Taiwan was worth it, and that, my friends, is the green light to poo. Based on Macron's comments, it sounds like Chinese President Xi Jinping got exactly what he wanted. Folks, an invasion of Taiwan is coming. And do you think that the Chinese are banking on a particular president of America to not react in a certain way? What do you think? Like, what do you, yeah. Like, we're going to find out pretty darn quick who's compromised, right? Politico 
this article in Politico noted that they let Macron's people look at the quotes that they were going to publish and then let them cut some things out. And they put this in an editor's note with the article. They said this. They said, quote, some parts of the interview in which the president spoke even more frankly about Taiwan and Europe's strategic autonomy were cut out by them, by the French. So Politico does the interview along with these two other French journalists. They write their story and then they give the French president's office editorial control. And they cut out a couple of statements that were, quote, even more frank about Taiwan and Europe's strategic autonomy. If what they left in is the stuff they felt comfortable letting people see, and it's this bad for the U.S., what the heck did they edit out, right? This is what Xi Jinping meant when he said he was talking about 100 years overtaking the U.S. as the dominant world power. That's what's, that's what's going on here. What better example than Africa? National Review's Mike Cote says, Since the beginning of the Xi Jinping era, the Chinese Communist Party has significantly expanded its diplomatic efforts across the globe and its influence within multilateral institutions. At the same time, the U.S. has taken a secondary role on the world stage, first with Obama's, you know, leading from behind, remember that, and then under America first with Trump. Biden's term has seen a more assertive U.S., but in precisely the wrong ways, privileging progressive ideology over American national interests, right? Like, with Trump and America first, like, if you were, if, if, the, if a particular foreign policy was in America's national interest, then that makes a lot of sense, right? We should do that thing. I don't necessarily see a conflict between, quote, America first and in our national interest, as it relates to foreign policy. It doesn't mean we don't help other countries and do other things with other countries if it redounds to our benefit, right? Because that's what it should be viewed first through the prism of. That's the first thing. The first filter is, does it serve our national interest? And if it does, okay. But if it doesn't, then let's not do it, right? Biden's term has seen a more assertive, uh, a more assertive U.S., but it's been privileging progressive ideology over American national interest. The process is seen most clearly in the diplomatic competition over Africa, where, where we are focusing on things like wokeism and the Chinese are building bridges, literally. Like they're doing infrastructure. Like they're building stuff to help people and we're you know trying to coach people on their pronouns and talking about democracy, right? And guess what the people of Africa don't really care about? <laughs> and guess what they do? They care about getting out of the grinding poverty that has afflicted their continent for hundreds of years, right? They would like to get out from underneath that. And the Chinese are offering them a way to do it. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will 
will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. Um, all right. I don't know. Jim has been hanging on for a very long time, so I feel bad that he's been hanging on for so long. So let's uh, put him on. Hey, Jim, what's going on? Good. How are you? Hey, good. What's up? I think the name of that book that you uh, were talking about is Gun Control in the Third Reich by a guy named Stephen Holbrook. That sounds familiar. Yes, that sounds. It's yeah. like probably yeah. like seven years ago now or something. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I, I read it on Kindle. Uh, actually, he goes back before the con- he he goes back to the end of World War One uh, with all the devastation and all the confusion after that and the rise of communists. They actually started taking the, the guns away from communists because uh, they they were more afraid of communism. Nazism really hadn't started yet. Yeah, um, right. It started with this idea that we don't want the bad guys having guns, so let's start the registration yeah. lists. And then, of course, the bad guys take control of the government, and now they got control of the lists. Yeah, essentially, they you're afraid of the communists, and uh, that was because things were chaos back then, mm. and they pretty much. We're trying to keep it, but but the, essentially, as you read on in the book, it seems like they did the did the work for the, the Nazis and didn't know it. <laughs> right. Well, that's it's always it's it's the same thing. What was the movie? Um, Tom Hanks, uh, Charlie Wilson's War, right? Yeah. Uh, where Tom Hanks is playing the congressman or senator, or whatever, and um, uh, what Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? And he's they're all celebrating that they had like gotten these arms. Uh, to bin Laden and the and uh, the Al Qaeda folks in order to you know beat back the Russians and so they're all celebrating this and that's when uh, Hoffman tells the story where like oh this little Afghan kid he's running around playing outside and he steps on a landmine and he's maimed and uh, the the village says oh that's so terrible and the old man says uh, the village elder says we'll see and then a couple of years go by now they're at war again and now the kid cannot be conscripted with the whole village who is massacred. But he survives because he wasn't part of the military. And they're like, oh, well, thank goodness he had stepped on that that mine. He was maimed. He didn't get conscripted, drafted. And so he survived. Oh, isn't that isn't he lucky? And the old man says, we'll see. Right. You don't you just don't ever. And they he told more examples. But that's the same thing. Unintended consequences. Right. We'll see. We don't know. Yeah, I remember in the 60s when I was in high school that uh, Charles de Gaulle was coming over to America and taking our our dollars, which then you could, you know, get gold out of them, and actually bringing them and uh, pulling gold out of a gold supply. Uh, that's probably one of the things, because uh, I, I remember I was in college at the time when Nixon took us off the gold standard, and I was somewhat happy about it because it stopped him from taking our gold. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the French have been in. I. I was I've been to French and lived with a German family one summer there, uh, and it was uh, you know my father was real mad because he had been in France during World War II and he's like he said we saved their bacon and then it comes over here and starts taking our gold from us. Yeah, uh, he didn't trust them at all. <laughs> no, I don't blame him, Jim. I appreciate the call, sir. Sure, bye bye. All right, take care. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, the French betrayal of America was the book I read a long time ago. Z- uh, Zimmerman. Timmerman, I think, yeah, I forget the author's name. So uh, under Biden, the national interest has consistently been sidelined in favor of SOPs to domestic constituencies. 
Mike Cote at National Review says the climate radicalism of the Democratic base has become a major plank of U.S. diplomacy, as has the idea of defending democracy, a constant theme of Biden's partisan politicking. These two topics were heavily featured in the agenda for the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit that was held in Washington. And these ideas were also reflected in the summit results presented by the State Department. In the same press briefing, infrastructure was mentioned one time. The ESG values of American companies were promoted as their competitive edge, and nearly every question was tied to climate change or democracy. Right? How much do you think these African countries and their leaders care about ESG? Seriously. They're trying to feed their people. He says he was only being innocent and playful when he asked a young boy to suck his tongue. He comes up to hug him, and the Dalai Lama puts his head forehead to forehead. Okay, forehead to forehead. And then everyone's watching. That's like a graduation ceremony or something. Oh, and then he puts his head up against his there. Now they're like rubbing heads and like doing a headbutt. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Oh, that's a noogie, a forehead noogie. Ah, ha, ha. Oh, head, okay, head bump again, okay. And now his head, the kid rubs his head. And then he's like, hey, suck my tongue. Wait, what? Whoa, wait a Oh, now he's hugging him again. Oh, now he's tickling him under the arm. Oh, my God, they got a Joe, he's got a Joe Biden problem. No, look, he's not sniffing the hair. He did, He now he's laughing because he... The Dalai Lama apologized for an interaction with a young boy on Monday, after disturbed viewers saw the religious leader ask the boy to, quote, suck my tongue. The 87-year-old exiled religious leader of Tibet was holding a public event when the interaction occurred. His representatives say that the boy approached the Dalai Lama and asked for a hug. Oh, well, he was asking for it then. So the two, inter- I'm just kidding. That's please, people. The two interacted for several moments and footage circulating on social media shows the boy responding to the leader's request to suck my tongue. A video clip uh, has been circulating that shows a recent meeting when a young boy asked His Holiness the Dalai Lama if he could give him a hug. His Holiness wishes to apologize to the boy and his family as well as his many friends across the world for the hurt his words may have caused. His Holiness often teases people when he meets in an innocent and playful way, even in public and before the cameras. He regrets the incident. Also, he's 87. No, they didn't say that last part, but okay. So he lives in India and is conserved by China to be a criminal separatist after fleeing Tibet. Um, religious leader remains a major political fi- uh, figure. Da, da, da. Uh, da, da, okay. Uh, nevertheless, B- uh, Buddhist priests. All right. That's it. Okay. That's it. That's all the information I got, but thank you, Bernie for, Asking me whether I'd seen it. What was the uh, what was the Babylon B line? What did they say? Babylon B's got it. I should just I should just I should just pull up Babylon B because like they're they're terrible, but hilarious. Um. Wait, what? Oh, look at this. Oh, that's interesting. So I didn't even realize this. So yesterday for Easter, apparently Google, you know, like they do stuff for the holidays and stuff. So in celebration of the Christian holy day of Easter, Google just did a whole blank screen to represent the tomb that Jesus rose from. It was just like a whole white screen and just said Google on it. 
I mean, really, really celebrating Easter for the Christians. That was nice of them. What? Uh, what was the bet? What the? What did? What did Babylon B say? Yeah, go ahead and read it. All right, Bernie Bowles, everybody. Bernie has the headline from the. Oh, ooh, I sense an opportunity for alliteration. Bernie Bowles <laughs> brings Babylon B. Hit it. Dalai Lama inundated with requests from public libraries to lead story hours. <laughs> Very nice. Come on. That is awesome. Is that it? Is that the only one they did? That's the only one I saw. All right, good. Yeah, John Moore posted it. Shouts out to producer John Moore. Hey, the first rule in radio is you steal people's stuff. Second rule is you don't say that you stole oh. their stuff. Come on, man. I do that every time. All right. There's no future for you in this industry. Um, all right, so maybe the Chinese are onto something with the Dalai Lama. I don't know. Maybe. it's. Mm. All right, so uh, back to this piece at National Review. Africa shows how Biden is losing the world to China. Um, now, do not hear, as Vince Coakley likes to say, do not hear what I'm not saying. Okay, I'm not advocating World War Three with China. I'm not saying that. However, maybe a little war. No, I'm kidding. No, maybe, but maybe we should pay a little bit more attention to all of the ways that China is expanding its influence around the globe, and what kind of problems that might present for us in the future. Especially when we're focused more on pronouns and DEI and ESG and defending democracy. And they're just, you know, building airports and bridges and roads for African countries. In exchange for a mere 5% of your precious metals. Chinese diplomacy under Xi Jinping, who looks like Winnie the Pooh, has been aggressive, even coercive. But it has also been successful. Since 2012, China has relentlessly promoted its interests abroad, gaining greater economic and military influence. This is especially clear in Africa, where China the, uh, has become the continent's biggest trade partner. Did you know that? And has its first overseas naval base. Did you know that? The first overseas Chinese naval base is in Africa. It has also gotten far more involved in mediating internal African issues, working to limit the civil war in Ethiopia and promoting China's form of one-party governance as a shortcut to success. Which, look, if you're you know, the leader of some uh, tyrannical little regime in an African country and the Chinese commies come in and they're like, hey, uh, we got a one-party system here that you could totally adopt – and you stay in power and you, you know, you get rich, you get taken care of, uh, you know, the, screw the people who cares about them. Uh, but, you know, for the record, we'll just you know, be you know, talking about how all of this is good for the workers and all of that. That's a pretty attractive pitch, right? Meanwhile, you got Biden coming in and be like, you know, it's all about democracy and democracy means, you know, the people have a say and, and like we, they could vote you out. Like, well, I, I don't like that outcome at all. In 2020, talking about development aid, in 2020, as other nations retrenched during the pandemic, China became the largest global investor for the first time. Hmm, interesting. Their massive Belt and Road Infrastructure Project, where they fund bridges, dams, railways, tons of other things all around the world. These investments are primarily in the form of loans and are often used as debt traps 
that China leverages to its advantage. Have you heard this scam that they're running on these countries? Yeah, they, so they'll come in and they'll be like, oh, we'll totally build you an airport. And they give them some deal, some loan, right? They build the airport. And then when the, uh, the balloon payments come due, let's say, and the country can't afford, the host country can't afford to make the payments any longer, then China forecloses and takes control of the, air, uh, of the airfield. And now China has a base in your country. See that? All right. Now, given the state of affairs in our country and the world, are you asking yourself whether you're prepared for an emergency? I actually get asked this a lot. My answer, start at Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies, the full line of Augustine Farms and Mountain House Foods, books, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, camping and hiking supplies. Being prepared is just smart. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing or somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. In Waynesville and online at carolinareadiness.com, get tickets to the Heritage Life Skills event also. Make a day trip to the mountains and return home fully prepared. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? I was talking about China. It's inroads into Africa. It's become the largest uh, trading partner for the continent now. And um, between what we saw with the French president, Macron, ha, 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 who uh, uh, obviously just gave the green light to China uh, to invade Taiwan, saying we're not going to get caught up in any of the you know overreactions by America or China about the Taiwan thing. Macron seems to think that Fran- uh, France can be the leader of some new European superpower. Um, and so they're and so they're working at at odds with us on Taiwan. I guess I don't know. But they just had a meeting and he came out and he said that. Oh, and also maybe delinking from the U.S. dollar. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good way to take us down a couple pegs, which I'm sure there are a lot of people around the globe and in America that would like to see that occur. So uh, with that green light given, China is doing war exercises around the uh, island nation of Taiwan. And uh, they're very angry. Winnie the Pooh is the president of China. He's very angry that the president of Taiwan met with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. At National Review, Mike Cote writes about how Africa shows how Biden is losing the world to China. This is one example of it. These investments that China makes into infrastructure and projects in developing countries, they're doing it in South America as well. Um, it's funny, it's a long time ago, but uh, gosh, I guess probably in the, would have been the late 90s, when a buddy of mine, Donald, went and uh, he was joined the Peace Corps, he went over to, I think he went to Papua New Guinea, and uh, and he worked in the, uh, a couple villages over there, uh, and I remember when he came back, he said that they would not eat Chinese rice, and they had a word for it, I cannot say it on the radio. But it's, uh, well, it's like Winnie the Pooh rice, but without the Winnie part. Uh, And they didn't eat it. It would just sit on the docks. It would sit in the warehouses. If it was from China, they would not eat it because they believed that the rice patties were fertilized with human waste because they were. Because this is what China was doing when they would set up farms and stuff in these African countries. And so they would do, they would fertilize it with like these sprayers, you know, of human feces and they would... So the, the, uh, the locals would not eat the Chinese rice. They always wanted the American rice. I wonder if that's still the case. An example from Ghana. 
$2 billion infrastructure deal with China in exchange for 5% of its bauxite reserves. Um, that is an ore that is used to produce gallium. That is a key strategic material. America has failed to compete on this front, instead prioritizing democracy promotion on VP Kakala Harris's visit and offering only part of a relatively meager $100 million regional security package. This approach has not won over African countries before, and it does not look to be doing so now. It turns out that ephemeral platitudes pale in comparison with uh, with concrete projects. That is exactly right. You could say what you want about foreign aid and whether we should be giving it or not, but if you're going to give it, right, if you've already decided to do a thing, then hopefully you're doing something that the other country wants, not just giving it all of your leftover, you know, Hornets win the World Series jerseys. Okay. To counter what they have a better chance of winning the World Series than, okay, it doesn't matter. Anyway, to counter this rising Chinese influence, American diplomacy needs to reprioritize national interest over progressive values, he says. All right, this is the problem. They cannot. They cannot help themselves. They go over to these African countries and they're they're talking to them about solar panels, you know? And these people are just trying to heat their homes. They're just trying to get clean water, a reliable source of food, you know? In Africa, China has gained a lot of its diplomatic purchase through direct investment in infrastructure projects which benefit local economies. They also ease living conditions and contribute to national pride. Their dominance in this sector is despite their weaknesses. Chinese infrastructure is typically shoddy quality. They use only Chinese labor and materials. And it often comes with abusive financial burdens. America, on the other hand, with partners like Japan, European Union, we can outcompete China, right? We can leverage our private sector and our comparative advantages like right, Japan is good with the high-speed rail, for example, right? And so oh, you want some high-speed rail? Hey, Japan, they got you covered. They're doing crazy stuff with high-speed rail. Don't look at us. Like, we can't even keep our, like, bearings greased in our light rail in Charlotte. But whatever. Like, Japan, they can't. We're also far more interested in using local labor and, and uh, local skills on the projects, right? And then that provides training, Right. It provides uh, durable investments in the area. Right. So this is like you, you get people that are now skilled at construction and you get some capital going. You get some experience going like we could build more stuff. You you built an, uh, an airport. Now you can get trade going. You build some warehouses. That, that's how you lift a country up. Right. That's how you, you have to make these investments. And we have the private sector to help us do all of this stuff for these nations. And China can't match that. Although they do build that, well, they built that building in like two days. Did that thing ever survive? Did it fall down? It looked like it was probably going to fall down. Anyway, another factor in our favor is the goodwill that America has built up over the decades. Since our founding, the U.S. has served as a beacon of hope to billions of people around the world. And at least since World War II, it's been emblematic of liberty and prosperity. Our cultural power is unmatched, although we are doing our best to undermine that ourselves. China is on a diplomatic warpath. They're trying to displace American influence wherever it appears. And the policies of the past three administrations have intentionally or not cleared the way for that push, particularly in Africa. 
Now, he says we can beat China at its own game, but we need to step up to the plate. And my question on that is, do we even want to? Are we even interested in doing so? And I suspect, generally, no. That's my that's my read on the on the population now. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Stick around. Brett Winterbull's up next. Don't break anything while I'm gone.